Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your girl, DJ Shard Dangerous. And it's your boy, DJ Big Bopper here. And we are back with another episode of Wave, Wave of the, the Planet. Planet. Um, how has your week been? You know, it's actually been pretty good. Like, last week, I was just exhausted and tired. I didn't really know what was going on. But today, like, I don't know. I woke up. I woke up an hour before my uh, alarm, and I felt pretty good. And I just kept going with the day. So, I'm feeling pretty good. I know we got, like, four more weeks until school's out. Or at least finals, I know. That is so scary, dude. Not only that, we got two more weeks till LJT. That is also Which is, I'm pretty sure, is finals week. (laughs) I love that they do that almost every year. They make LJT around finals week just to, or like some professors will let you take your finals early, but it's during LJT week. And, like, mm. and I've never had that problem because I don't usually go. And so yeah. it's like, I'm like, I love LJT week because I'm like, parking is great. No one is in class. I get so much stuff. Well, done. not only that, like nobody's in class or so you get extra points a lot of the time because yeah, you're you there. Like, credit. oh, oh, well, I guess only half the class is here. I guess you all get extra five points. You're I like, love hey. that. <laughs> I'm such a big fan of that. Yeah, honestly, LJT week is great for me as well. And then I've thought about it. I'm, I'm like, uh, last one, best one, whatever. Might go. Let's might go Friday. Go with we'll me. See. Yeah, I was like, go with me either on the Friday or the Saturday. I have I'm, to work I'm getting, Saturday. Ooh, I, I already know Friday I'm going to work Saturday. Yeah. Right. And then. Val's coming into town and she's gonna go so it's like she's gonna come in like Thursday so we're gonna go to Stocks Thursday night uh, and then LJT Friday <laughs> let's night let's do it and then I'm just gonna go pick them up Saturday when I get off work cause I know they're not gonna be able to drive and like, I'm okay with that <laughs> last year was my first ever LJT and never gone before I've mm-hmm. been here for like four years but I don't know it's just not my thing I guess <laughs> but I finally did go and I, I think I had like a one day pass but I think I think this year I'll uh I'll get a two day maybe by the time that I graduate I've been gone enough times i'll have a seven day who knows well like kylie said it's not she was like honestly because kylie likes country music and mm-hmm. she was like it's I, like i love all the artists that are performing but it's not necessarily a concert she, like it no. is it's an all-week concert but that's not what it's for oh yeah no and i'm I, just like mm, see i'm just see. i'm not a huge country fan i should uh, let me let me rephrase that like modern country fan <laughs> So, but I, I still had a great time. I had a good time. It's an, it's really fun to be surrounded by people you'll never, ever see again. And you're yeah. just best buds with them for a couple of days. It's pretty cool. I like it. It's a nice, like, I guess it's that festival atmosphere, you know, like yeah. the festival buddies. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, I call it Redneck Coachella. I, I love you so much, bro. I'll never see you again in my life. Exactly. It's literally <laughs> Redneck Coachella. But yeah, we go from How's Your Week to um, LJT. That's fun. Uh, my week was interesting. Um, I think I'm just starting to realize that it's coming way faster it's than like, I thought. like, what, 31 days or something? Something like that. And so now it's, like, I'm starting to plan, like, like I've got the whole month of July planned out. I'm not going to be in Texas for most of July. And so, and I'm going to Colorado in, at the end of July to, like, Pretty much scope, like Val's going to come with me, we're going to scope it out and then basically sign a lease at the end of the week. Heck yeah. So it's like, and then I'll come back that last week to pack up my apartment and move out. So it's like getting real. Like it's only April, but it's already April. That's so (laughs) nuts to me. And it's like, grades like aren't the best, but aren't the worst. But at this point, I'm like, we're graduating. Yeah, I was like, what can you do about it? You know? AD will get this degree and I'm okay (laughs) with it. Hey. I, so sorry, Grandma, but you know I'm just shooting for graduation at yeah, this I point. I just want to graduate, okay? Yeah, exactly. Trust me, I understand. Uh, you got a song of the week? What is it? Yeah, actually, I do. It's going to be. Uh, I know I did, already did one by Bowie, but uh, I'm going to do another one by David Bowie because you know he makes amazing music. He's one of your favorites. Yeah, I know that for sure. Easily, and uh, it's going to be Golden Years. It's actually um, the first time I think I ever heard it was actually on. Um, the Knight's Tale, so it's when they go into that ball. So I guess that's my attachment to it. But we're going to go ahead and listen to Golden Years by David Bowie. Golden years. Golden. Don't let me hear you say lights taking you nowhere. Life's begun, lights are warm and the days are young. There's my feet, I lost my soul. Well, 
like I said, it's in the uh, it's in the Knight's Tale. So I just I don't know, man. I loved that movie when I was younger. It has Heath Ledger in it, R.I.P. Yeah, but uh, it's a really good movie too. So I mean, I guess. And I know you've <laughs> talked about. Isn't Bowie coming out with a movie? Mm-hmm, he has so. his. Well, man. Okay, so, so we just had the Dirt come out, which is Motley Crue, and then yeah. we we have uh, we have Elton John with Rocket Man. And then we have David Bowie coming out, and I'm really, really excited about it because I'm like, I love all of these artists, um, and I, I think honestly, Queen, or when they did, or sorry, when they did Bohemian Rhapsody for Queen, I think it just blew the doors off this new kind of genre, I guess. Yeah. Like it more. I guess it's not new. It's just more mainstream now. Yeah. And yeah. I like it. Like cause I like to know. They the, I love these it. artists. Like I want to see how they became to be who they are. Same, and I think that it's also kind of like, because um, you know, basically with Elton John's st- was it Elton John's story or no? I think it was with uh, Freddie Mercury's with uh, Bohemian Rhapsody coming out. A lot of people, like his family, were like, "This isn't true to whatever." Like you know, because mm-hmm. of certain things that yeah. have happened in his past that they're ashamed of, but he was like, "I'm myself," you know. And so yeah. it's kind of like I like that they're very historically accurate. Which I mean, I know that's why uh, David Bowie. They're not very happy with his uh, because the family didn't have much of a say. So, I mean, I guess it's airing all those dirty little secrets, maybe. Yeah, and I think we'll a see. lot of people don't want that out. But, you know, honestly, it's like, whatever. We all have our dirty little secrets, and yeah. what's done in the dark will come to light. So, yeah. you know. So, I mean, I'm curious to see. I really like it. I really like him as an artist. So, I want to see it. I want to know more about his life. So, I want to see kind of how, how did Bowie become Bowie? You know? Exactly. About you, what's your uh, song of the week for this week? I am um, so I am a fan of Kaylee Morg. I am a fan of Haley Kyoko, and I heard that they had a new song coming out, and I was like, "What?" And so I listened to the song, and I love it because it's called Headcase, and basically, she's like, "I'm a Headcase. I'm crazy." Like it's I don't know. To me, like this isn't one of those songs where I'm like in the lyrics about it. Mm-hmm. I'm just like in the vibe of it. I yeah. like the vibe of it. I like when the beat hits. I like like I like listening to the in the car when I'm just like driving around like when I um I work a lot like I have a weekend job that I do and mm-hmm. I work a lot and it's like only five minutes from my house so like I'm very selective with the songs that I choose and I'm like I only have like two songs to buy yeah. out one on a good day so like I've been choosing this one lately. Well, would you say that it is enjoyable to you? I would say it is enjoyable to me. All right. Well, then we're gonna go ahead and take a listen to it. What's it again? It's called Headcase. Let's take a listen. So that's Headcase by Haley Mork, uh and featuring Haley Kyoko. And, you know, I've talked about Haley Kyoko mm-hmm. in the past. Like, you know, I like her music and she won some good awards. She won some awards finally. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's my song of the week. We have a lot of music news. And then we have a sports story um, that I think is a, it's the only sports story I have besides, of course, the Natty. Um, but... It's seven pages long. When I read it out, it's gonna it's a it's a letter. Okay. Um, it's seven pages long, but I think it's very important. Huh? So hope I I think that we'll have time for it. Um, but we're gonna start. I'm gonna talk a little bit about Mick Jagger. I know we talked uh, that they had to postpone their tour dates. Yeah, for his health. So uh, we actually now we know what it was. So uh, Mick Jagger tells the fans that he's feeling much better after a heart procedure. The Rolling Stones senior updated the followers after his heart valve replacement procedure last week. See, we didn't know what it was. Yeah, but... he, we just know that he had canceled everything. Mm-hmm. Well, not canceled, but postponed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Rolling Stones singer Mick Jagger has updated his fans on his health on Friday and one day after undergoing a heart valve replacement procedure in New York. The 75-year-old rock legend is expected to make a full recovery and it's took to Facebook to tell fans how much he appreciates their support. It was, thank you all for all the messages of support. I'm feeling much better now and I'm on the mend, hero. And he is also a thank you to all the hospital staff for doing such a superb job. 
The Stones announced last week that they were scheduling their North American no-filter tour so that Jagger could have the procedure. Originally slated, he was going to begin in April, and now the tour will now begin in July with new dates to be announced in the upcoming weeks. Jagger will need to rest after completing the transthecular ortic valve replacement, or TAVR, the sources have said, and that the minimally invasive procedure allows Jagger to avoid major surgery and still be able to perform. So while the recovery time for the procedure is much shorter than surgery, Jagger must rest four to five days so that the artery can heal without several bleeding issues. He could also be moving in a few days, but we'll need to additional recovery time before returning to the stage. So it's going to take like a month for him to recover and get back compared to if he had to go under actual surgery, it'd be like That's, a couple of years. Yeah. You know? Well, that's good news then. That's really because good news. Because to be up and there. about, like singing, dancing, doing everything, that's a lot. That's a lot of strain on your heart, you know? Yeah. So, um, well, the Stones are expected to make up nearly all of their dates on the No Filter Tour, but they won't be performing at the Jazz Fest in New Orleans this year, as previously planned. However, earlier today, festival's officials have announced that the Fleetwood Mac would be taking the band's place. So, I mean, I'd still, that's a good performance. Rolling Stones for Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, yeah. I'd still, yeah. I, I'd still be okay with it. I like. I don't. Man, I mean, I love Fleetwood Mac. Don't get me wrong, but I think I, I just never have seen the Rolling Stones. I've seen Fleetwood Mac live, and ah, man. Well, I hope they are able to make it to Texas. I don't know because it says it's going to mess with some of the dates. Yeah. So I'm um, hopefully they'll still make it to Texas. We'll just have to wait and see on that. Man, okay. So I'm gonna let you. Talk about the Beyonce first before I get into this. Before you get into, <laughs> yeah, because we got some Coachella news coming up, too. So, uh, basically, if you guys don't know who Beyonce is, I'm not going to explain it because you should know who Beyonce is. Um, but she, if you don't remember, she had Beychella. Mm-hmm. So, um, she's actually getting a documentary. In 2018, Beyonce snatched wigs, hairlines, and lifespans with her destructive Coachella performance dubbed Beychella. It was so, I remember, I remember watching because it, it was so long and it mm-hmm. was literally like, like her merch was awesome. Carly is like a crazy Beyonce fan. One of our DJs is in there right now. So like, I, I know she watched the whole thing. I think she's got some of the merch too. See, I never watched it, but I've heard all about it. Yeah. Well, basically she like, um, kind of made it kind of seem like the whole thing like she was um that like kind of like the headmaster of an hbcu which mm-hmm. is a historically black college or university and so um like her merch was basically like a sorority line and stuff like that okay yeah. so yeah it was really cool um i say destructive because it eviscerated all expectations of her constantly shifting performance paradigm it was as it was a mesmerizing, glitz and glamoured look at what America knows about the band experience of black students who attended historically black colleges. There was the bright neon yellow that makes black skin glisten like fresh embers on a fireplace. I wore I wore yellow last week. <laughs> so true. Um, a, cal- a cavalcade of black berets with an accompanying militaristic level of restraint and focus, where one could balance a penny on a finger indefinitely. Curvaceous bodies softly dancing to the startling crashes of ride symbols. Her history-making set is coming to Netflix on April 17th with Homecoming, a film by Beyonce. In the magical t- trailer released today, the legendary singer takes fans onto the stage of the performance and behind it, revealing the mindset, working atmosphere, and experience as it happened. The trailer is cut at just short of two minutes. Maya Angelou's voiceover sets the stage place. Grinning, youthful women get their hair done with twisted knots and the buzz of clippers preparing them for the next step. Guys twirl drumsticks and dap each other, smiling. Dancers scream in the purest form of excitement. Some masked. Blue Ivy even gets on the road with Beychella. She sits in a chair with backup dancers twirling her hair in a routine, and she's smaller and fiercer reincarnation of her mother. Then there's a crash of drums and cymbals, and the performance night comes roaring back to view. Several of Beyonce's captivating looks are captured in the span of seconds. Ghostly, majestic silver, baggy hoodie and Daisy Dukes, shimmering dress and scepter, but she isn't the camera's focus. It's the stage. It's on Jay-Z's smile mid-performance. It's on the gratifying, hooting, and hollering bodies of the band. It's on the experience Beyonce set marked for the very first time in the history of Coachella that a black woman headlined the festival. This is also the first time that the entire performance will be available to see since its initial live stream. Now's the perfect time to revisit the glowing performance if you've already seen it. 
See, now I get a chance to actually watch it. Because like, I've seen snippets from YouTube and Facebook yeah. and Twitter, but I haven't actually seen the full set. So. Yeah, it's crazy. And that's the... So, like, it's comparable to Drumline, mm-hmm. basically. Like, um, and I don't... I think it was really cool. Because, like it said, she is the first black woman to headline yeah. this festival. And so, um, it's really cool that she got to show this side of it and uh how like the bands like i don't know if you know but like prairie view a&m and a couple other schools like in texas and throughout the u.s they have like they still have drum battles mm-hmm. and like a uh what is it called a something of the ba- battle of the bands and it's very very popular for like homecoming games yeah. and like it's not even like people don't go to watch football they literally go to watch the bands and so um and it's just a really big part of HBCU culture. And so I thought it was super cool the way that she performed it. And I'm excited to watch this documentary for sure and see the behind the scenes. You're actually going to watch this one? Y- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're darn skippy. I'm actually going to watch Beyonce. What do you mean? I'm just, I'm just yeah, curious. You say I, you're going to watch a lot of them and you just never you know do. You know what? So. Look, Fire Festival, <laughs> I haven't watched it. I'm not going to lie. But I did watch and finish or get caught up with the act. Okay. Highly recommend. It's based on a true story. Gypsy Rose Blanchard. I don't know if you know who that is. But basically, she's the girl who, um, in 2015, her and her boyfriend um, were charged with, um, was it manslaughter? I think it was manslaughter of her mom. She's the girl who basically her mom was like, um, making, Made up, yeah. making her sick. Yeah, Munchausen's by proxy. Okay, yeah. Had. I was like, there's this term for that. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I keep seeing it show up, yeah. but I've yet to watch it. It's really good. Is it? Yeah, and nice. like, Joey King does an amazing job. Granted, we might be talking about this story soon because they might be in some legal mm-hmm. hot water, um, but Joey King does an amazing job portraying her because, like I said, it is a, it's not, it's based on a true story. Like, it right. really happened. She looks just like her. She talks just like her. Like, it's really good so far, and I think there's only huh. four or five episodes out already, but the next one comes out uh, today, so I'll be watching it later on. Yeah, Me make, and Kristen will be watching it. And I'll try to make sure I gotta check that out, then. It's pretty good. What's it? It's on. It's um, on Hulu. Hulu, got it's it. It's called The Act, and it's on Hulu, and it's like, um, it's kind of creepy, dude. Just to think that like a mom would actually do that, and but, and she's just doing that to get attention, right? Like, I mean, pretty, I mean, at the like, it becomes a a point of income for them. Like people oh, feel gosh. so bad, and like she's drugging her every day for sure. Oh, like she tells Lord. her she's allergic to sugar, that she can't walk. That she has a heart disorder, she cannot eat. You cannot walk. Like what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How can She's you enforce that? So much that she has a feeding tube. She like doesn't. She drinks water, but I don't think she like eats what any. Like twenty percent of her food, she may People swallow. Are crazy. Yeah, but eighty percent of it's through a tube. That's, it's crazy. That's wild. But yeah, it's pretty good. So. <laughs> Well, to get back, get back onto that music news. We're yeah, gonna... back to Coachella. <laughs> so uh, a Coachella stagehand dies after falling in the staging area. Um, so a man has died in Coachella campgrounds in Indio, California, as USA Today locals affiliate Desert Sun and TMZ report. According to the reports, the man was a stagehand working on the festival setup. A weekend, uh, weekend one of the Coachella setup is, begins Friday, April 12th. So uh, TMZ reports that he fell from the stage scaffolding to the ground and sustained fatal injuries. According to the Indio Police spokesperson, Ben Guchin, speaking to the Desert Sun, the worker fell from a roof and then perished at the scene. And the incident has been reported to the California Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA. So in a statement to the Pitchfork, uh, representatives for Coachella said of the incident that today... Golden Voice lost a colleague, a friend, a family member, and our friend has fell that while working on a festival stage and is with heavy hearts and tremendous difficulty that we confirm his passing. He has been with our team for 20 years in the desert and was doing what he loved. He was a hardworking and loving person that cared deeply about his team. And as our lead rigger, he was responsible for countless incredible shows that have been put on through the festival. We will miss him dearly. Uh, the last time a death has actually occurred on the Coachella grounds was in 2014, when a festival goer collapsed and later died following an apparent drug overdose. So, man, that's that sucks. We talked about, um, it was another death. 
I don't remember what festival would have happened, but it was another death with something kind of like this. It was a stagehand, and mm-hmm. he had, like, fell, fallen off of something. And it just kind of makes you wonder, like, how does this happen? Because they're, it's not OSHA-approved, what they're doing, probably. I, I mean, yeah. I can only imagine, because they're up there, they're trying to rig all the lights, they're rigging the set. Um, I'm assuming they don't have a safety line set up or a harness or anything. They're just kind of, uh, I don't know, free-handing, free handing, free free-ranging it, I don't know. Um, but, man, that's terrible the thing to say. And, uh, and kind of going off at the end, like, just talking about like the parent drug overdose and everything. Remember, just like, if you're at a festival, stay hydrated. Period. Like, the yeah. biggest thing of death at these things are um, basically heat strokes, like not dehydration, just anything. Like, regardless of what you're doing, make sure you take a lot of water. Because that seems to be a big thing that keeps happening in a lot of these different festivals. And we just, you know, we kind of want to, don't want any deaths at any of these festivals because it kind of just ruins it, man. Like, yeah. that's, uh, it's terrible because now you got to think about all those other people who are still, because they're still setting up for it. Because it's, I mean, they said the weekend one at Coachella is set is Friday, this coming Friday. So it yeah, just. Yeah, it's coming up. Uh, man, but. I'm going to try to get, okay, I'm going to get on to a little bit better news. So okay. we haven't really talked much about 21 Savage yet since he'd been released and everything. Yeah, that's right. So uh, J. Cole had performed with 21 Savage and Meek Mill to pay tribute to Nipsey Hussle at uh, Dreamville Festival. I, I saw this performance. Oh, did you watch it? See, I watched I watch the different snippets. I've watched a bunch of the different. I cried a bit, but it's fine. Um, well, J. Cole has been a huge rap star for years, but right now he's in the process of leveling up. Earlier this year, Cole's new single, Middle Child, became his biggest hit ever. And this past weekend, Cole finally staged his own music festival. Cole's Dreamville Festival was supposed to go down last year, but he had to cancel it because of an impending arrival of Hurricane Florence. But on Saturday, Dreamville finally happened in Rayleigh's Dor- Dorothea Dix Park. Cole headlined a bill that included 21 Savage, SZA, Big Sean, and Nelly, among many others. And Cole made sure his set counted. During his set, Cole invited 21 Savage, a recent collaborator who has been lately had a tumultuous story to the stage, and together they performed the big collaboration a lot, and it was the first time doing it live together. During the performance, Cole shouted out Savage, how many people uh, How many people in this are happy to see 21 Savage home and free doing what he loves to do? Shortly after that, Cole brought out another rapper who, like Savage, had been through legal troubles, becoming a flashpoint for national conversation. Meek Mill wasn't on the festival bill, but J. Cole brought him to the Meek onto the stage, commending Meek for how really devoted his life has been through changing. Meek performed his recent hits, Uptown Vibes and Going Bad, as well as the Immortal Monster intro to his dreams in Nightmares album. And uh, between those two guests, Cole performed his 2014 song, Love Yours, in tribute to the recently slain Nipsey Hussle, rapping the song while images of Nipsey played on the big screen behind him. Before doing that song, he spoke heavily about Nipsey and about what he meant. What he meant. So, obviously a really emotional set. Um, yeah, for, it was for sure. And it, it's just... It, it's terrible to me, and I know you got it coming up in the story about what had happened with everything. Um, and it's just, it's just kind of, it just sucks to see all this evil in the world, man. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Um, especially just like how good of a guy Nipsey was. Right, Not a lot of exactly. people knew um, about or knew Nipsey Hustle, but people who knew him knew him, mm-hmm. and. Um, he was doing really good things for the community and so it is really really sad that he passed number one but also just you know the the way that he did exactly you know? it's just it's just and we'll go actually i'll let you go into that story and kind of like talk about um because not only did we have do we have a little bit more on the trial uh the uh, with the murder tra- or the murder charges but there also is something that happened at his um at his candlelight so we'll kind of go into that and talk about that so uh the suspect in the case uh in his killing uh pleads not guilty on thursday the los angeles county district attorney's office charged 29 year old eric ronald holder jr with killing nipsey hustle born ermius asgetum i believe that's how you pronounce it um, on March 31st, Holder is also accused of wounding two other men in the accident. 
which happened outside of a store that the rapper, entrepreneur, and philanthropist own in Crenshaw neighborhood of South L.A. The formal charges are one count of murder, two counts of attempted murder, and one count of possession of a firearm by a felon. Holder was convicted of a felony in 2012 when he pled no contest to the possession of a loaded firearm. So he's got a pass with guns. Mm -hmm. Um, He pled not guilty to the charges and was ordered held on a $5 million bail, which is... $500,000 then, right? Yeah, $500,000. After a widely publicized manhunt, he was arrested on Tuesday in the city of Bellflower in Los Angeles County. At a press conference held earlier that day, LAPD Chief Michael Moore said the police believed that there was some kind of dispute between the two men. According to the video evidence of witness statements, uh, Holder allegedly spoke to the rapper, left, and then returned with a gun. Holder is being represented by Christopher Darden, who became a household name as a prosecutor in the O.J. Simpson trial. A lot of people were talking about um, how was he able to afford Christopher Darden. Uh, he's not a cheap man. Mm-hmm. So I think they said, they were like, did the court appoint him Christopher Darden? Like, how did that happen? I think Christopher took it on knowing basically that he's going to try and beat this case. Yeah. But I I don't, I mean, that's kind of what he's known for. But, I mean, you know, the glove don't fit. You must have quit. Exactly. <laughs> Nipsey Hussle, who earned a Grammy nomination in 2018 for his first major label release, Victory Lap, was 33 years old at the time of the shooting. Holder has been ordered to return to court on May 10th. Meanwhile, there was a stampede at a memorial vigil for Nipsey Hussle Monday evening. At Tuesday's press conference, Michael Moore said that someone in the crowd who was armed either brandished or displayed a gun, and then another person attempted to disarm him to protect the crowd. Moore posted on Twitter Monday night that 13 people sustained injuries. As attendees fled, 12 were treated on site. Multiple news outlets later reported that per the Los Angeles Fire Department, at least 19 people were injured. Most of those people were injured by falls, sprains, and being cut by glass. Moore said that some in the crowd were throwing glass at the police. One person was reportedly stabbed. What? What? Yeah. I I don't understand. I I don't understand that. The chaos in the crowd was frightening. Tonight was the first night in a while that I honestly felt scared on the job. ABC7 reporter Veronica Miracle wrote on her Twitter. Babies were screaming. People were shoving themselves under our ABC7 news van for coverage while crying. People were trampled. My heart hurts for everyone who came here to mourn at Nipsey Hussle's death. Uh, Chief Moore post also posted on Monday evening that Nipsey Hussle's death was one of the 26 shootings and 10 homicides that have occurred in Los Angeles in the week since March 24th. That's 36 families left picking up the pieces, Moore wrote on Twitter. We'll work aggressively with our community to quell this senseless loss of life. And so... Even if there was, a, even if there wasn't a gun, or I mean, I don't know what started this all, yeah. but why would you bring a gun to a like a candlelight vigil in the first place? You yeah, know? it's just this is what I'm saying. Like, there's, I I think that like yeah, like why would you bring it in public? This is it's a time for mourning, a time ah, just yeah. So it's sad. There's a lot of evil in the world, or if they even came there to do this on purpose. Like what? What? Yeah. Why? Exactly. I just I don't understand people sometimes. It just. <sighs> I don't know. It's to try to <laughs> steer it in a little bit better direction, I want to say. Because, yeah. um, I mean, you know, I, heck, I uh, I bought HBO simply to watch Game of Thrones. Yeah. I want to watch that, and it's coming out soon. Mm-hmm. Um, well, The Weeknd, SZA, and Travis Scott are to release a new song for Game of Thrones. A source closed the project, confirmed that the track is coming soon. So uh, they had said that... It will feature an eighth and final episode of Game of Thrones. It's coming soon. According to the source, Game of Thrones has asked The Weeknd to record the song for fans. The Weeknd then brought SZA, Travis Scott, onto the project, and the rumors of the song has recently circulated on Reddit as well as Travis Scott's fan page. The Weeknd and Travis Scott previously collaborated on Wonderful, a track from Scott's 2016 LP, Birds in the Trap Sing McKnight, and in 2017, Scott hopped onto SZA's control single, Love Galore. The Weeknd's last album was in 2018's My Dear Melancholy. Revisit uh, Pitchfork's 2015 interview of the horror of The Dark Knight Returns, a conversation with The Weeknd. Because he was also on The Dark Knight Returns yeah. s- soundtrack. So this is coming up. Game of Thrones is season eight is to premiere on HBO April 14th. And then it's supposed to come out. Um, it says, yeah, it coming out on their eighth episode in the final season of it so 
I'm curious. I love Game of Thrones. I like all the music, and I really like how they use the music. Because, like every time I hear um, "Reigns of Castamere," I know something bad's going to happen. <laughs> like, I just know. Ever since the Red Wedding, uh, I guess spoiler alert. But I guess if you haven't really watched it by now, uh, I don't know what to tell you. That every time I hear that, <laughs> it's just like ah. So I love how they use their music in that in the show. So I'm really curious to see it, and I'm really I'm. Like, I want it to come out before so I can listen to it, but at the same time, you know, I don't. Yeah. But I'm curious to see what kind of what kind of track they're making for Game of Thrones. Because it's, it's more of that, like, you know, it's like a feudal Dark Age fantasy land. So I'm kind of curious of how they're going to make this happen, you know? Yeah. Or I what kind of song? I haven't watched Game of Thrones, but <clears throat> I definitely, I know, I know, I know. I definitely plan on it. I want to, I want to get into it. I just don't have time right now. So is that gonna is that all of our music news for today? I think so. What that's great. We've got about a good. I got some. I got a sports story well, I want to talk about. Well, before we get into that, I just want to talk about Lubbock. Yes. And yes. how they cannot hand. They just okay. won. Okay, so this is the first so, time Tech has ever way, been this far. Congratulations <laughs> to everyone at Texas Tech who's burning down stuff. Texas Tech has never made it this far in history, <laughs> so they broke some records. Um, they, if They've you never know, been to the Final Four, and now they're at the championship. Yeah, now so. they're at the championship, and I'm rooting for them. Baylor won for the women, so I'm really proud of Baylor. My dad, I want my the dad Texas teams stupid. to win. He posted on Facebook, he said, so if Tech wins, is that would you call that a Texas two-step? I was like, Dad, you're uh, so stupid. But, dad jokes. But honestly, like, yeah, I'm for it. I, you know, I I, I was so happy that the women won, and I'm definitely rooting for Tech Look, Monday night. It was wilding. Like, I didn't, okay, so I didn't really know what was going on until, like, they'd shown me. And they got cars on fire. They're flipping cars, jumping on them. And the thing <laughs> is, is, like, I find all this on Twitter, right? Because, yeah, you know, that's exactly, how we all yeah. connect with each other. And it's like... Somebody posted this, yeah, you, so Spongebob, that gif where it's like him running around and like the, everything's on fire and stuff, mm-hmm. and it's like, this is going to be Lubbock tonight if Tech wins, and it wasn't wrong. See, okay. That's exactly what See, happened. See, I saw, I saw a gif as well, and it was like, um, I can't remember, man, I can't remember the show what it's from, but it's like, it says the uh, team as they come back to Lubbock, and it's it's that, that gif where the guy walks in with the pizza, and like the entire room's on fire, and he's just like... <gasps> Yeah. That one, I was yeah. just like, man, this. What's wild to me is this is just they haven't even won the championship, so that was just to make it to the championship. Yeah, this is as far as they've ever. And gone. they had a they had to bring out the riot squad, and a, they were tear gassing them to try to like keep them calm. I'm like, man, if that was just for the prelims, I cannot imagine what will happen if they win the. If they end up winning the championship, Lubbock is going to be on fire. Uh, someone said Texas, or someone after the game, someone said Texas owns all of Michigan now. You, I mean, you already know that they're going to have to have the riot squad in the streets before the game even starts. Like just yeah. patrolling, just be ready. Yeah, they're going to have to be ready. They need to just go ahead and put Texas Tech on lockdown. No one can leave. No one can <laughs> enter. Like. You, <laughs> Because win or lose, it's going to be crazy oh, in, yeah. in Lubbock tonight. That's for sure. Stay away from the bars. <laughs> Honestly, don't go to like, a bar to dude, watch this game. I was like, I watched the video, and it's just a mob of people. They're all flipping this They're car. Flipping, and I was and like, I'm just like, yo, what, what do you do if that's your car? No, I was you, like, man, that car looks pretty new. I know what it's like to have it, like, just get a new car. And, like, people flipping it, I'd be like... I'm looking at this video, screenshotting everybody's picture. Yeah, I was like, about to say, this like, this person helped flip my car. There's this nothing person you can really do in that car. situation because it's just a mob. Like, what are you going to do? Like, no, stop. Sue them all. Oh, this is what I'm going to do. No. See, I, I guess I would just accept it. Be like, there's nothing I can really do about this. Thank God I have full coverage. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's just, just so crazy. Like, see. I've never personally seen in like a riot like this happen, and I hope I never do. It's it's just insane to me. I've never seen it happen down, even like okay, even when like the Astros won um, the World Series, it didn't happen down in Houston. There was a bunch of people, and everybody was hooping and hollering. Don't get me wrong; like the streets yeah. were full of people. We didn't flip no cars. <laughs> Exactly. You didn't burn nothing. And that's the thing. And that's what people are like, the civility of that but place. There were people, they were, I saw a video of people were getting chased on top of roofs, just like jumping from roof to roof. Yeah. And I'm like, what is this? Well, this it, is insane. <laughs> it was a crazy night in Lubbock. Um, oh, man. I can't even imagine. 
I'm literally just thinking because I'm gonna have to watch the game while I'm at work tonight. And I'm just thinking, like, I'm, like, I'm not even a super fan, but, like, I'm going to go for a Texas team, obviously. Texas and so, all like, the way. I'm cheering for Lubbock. I'm, like, I want them to win. And I'm just thinking, God, these people. One of my best friends. Um, want to do a road trip? Go to Lubbock? I, I have to work. <laughs> one of my best friends, her mom, graduated from Tech. And so, like, they were super excited. And I'm, like, man, they're really, they're really going to burn the city down tonight if they win. Or if they lose. I was like, it's either way, I'm curious to see what's going to happen. Lubbock is going to get burned down tonight, so we'll keep you updated next week. <laughs> we'll <laughs> let you know if Lubbock survived. Oh, man. I'm, I am I really hope they win, uh, but at the same time, I hope they're smart about it. Like, I hope nothing... Please, no deaths. Please, no deaths. No pointless death over this. <laughs> That's yeah, all I'm... exactly. No, like, don't burn down the place. No deaths. Just be civil. Just celebrate be happy get drunk like <laughs> just have a grand old time exactly <laughs> but and, uh, don't destroy anybody else's property come on please. exactly <laughs> exactly so um we do we actually really do have some some time for this long story it is seven pages but i'm gonna preface uh kyle corver is a player in the NFL, nba sorry i almost slipped he's an nba player he plays for the utah jazz um He's a white dude. He talks about it in the story. Um, he basically put it out. It's called Privilege. And he wanted to put this out kind of as a, um, he feels like he's been too quiet about certain things. Mm-hmm. He's going to talk about a player named Thabo. Um, it's Thabo Sevalosha. He is one of his teammates on the Jazz. He's a small forward, number 22. Um, so that being said, it's called Privilege by Kyle Corver. When the police break your teammate's leg, you'd think it would wake you up a little. When they arrest you on a New York street, throw him in jail for a night, and leave him there with a season-ending injury, you'd think it would sink in. You'd think you would know there was more to the story. You'd think. Mm-hmm. But no. I still remember my reaction when I first heard what happened to Thabo. It was 2015, late in the season. Thabo and I were teammates on the Hawks, and we'd flown into New York late after a game in Atlanta. When I woke up the next morning, our team group text was going nuts. Details were still hazy, but guys were saying, Thabo hurt his leg during an arrest? Wait, he spent the night in jail? Everyone was pretty upset and confused. Well, almost everyone. My response was different. I'm embarrassed to admit it, which is why I wanted to share it today. Before I tell the rest of the story, let me just say real quick, Thabo wasn't some random teammate of mine or some guy in the league who I knew a little bit. We'd become legitimate friends that year in our downtime. He was my go-to teammate to talk to about stuff beyond the basketball world. Politics, religion, culture, you name it. Thabo brought a perspective that wasn't typical of an NBA player. And for it's easy to see why. Because we were teammates in Atlanta, the guy had played professional ball in France, Turkey, and Italy. He spoke three languages. Thabo's mother was from Switzerland, and his father was from South Africa. They lived together in South Africa before Thabo was born, and then left because of apartheid. If you don't know what apartheid is, it's basically um, the separation of uh, white South Africans and black South Africans in Mm. South Africa. there's a movie that was on Disney Channel a long time ago, probably about 10, 15 years ago, called The Color of Friendship. And that's kind of what it's like, uh, kind of about. Um, okay. It's like it was about an exchange program that they did, and they were getting um, a student from, it was a black family, and they were getting a student from South Africa, and they were expecting a a black person from mm-hmm. South Africa, and it actually ended up with a white South African um, who wasn't really comfortable staying with them because they were a black family and it was right. kind of about how they had to learn each other and be comfortable with each other. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of what apartheid was. Okay. Um, it didn't take long for me to figure out that Thabo was one of the most interesting people I'd ever been around. We expe- we respected each other. We were cool. You know, we had each other's backs anyway. On the morning I found out that Thabo had been arrested. I wanted, I want to know what my first thought, uh, want to know what my first thought was about, about my friend and teammate. My first thought was, what was Thabo doing at a club on back, on a back-to-back? Yeah, not how's he doing, not what happened in the arrest, not something seems off with this story. Nothing like that. Before I knew the full story and before I'd even had the chance to talk to Thabo, I sort of blamed him. I thought, well, if I'd been in Thabo's shoes out at a club late night, the police wouldn't have arrested me, not unless I was doing something wrong. Cringe. It's not like it was a conscious thought. It was pure reflex. The first thing that popped into my head. And I was worried about him, no doubt, but still, cringe. A few months later, a jury found Thabo not guilty on all charges. He settled with the city over NYPD's use of force against him, and then the story just sort of disappeared. It fell away from the news. 
Thabo had surgery and went through rehab. Pretty soon, another NBA season began, and we were back on the court again. Life went on. But I still couldn't shake my discomfort. I mean, I hadn't been involved in the incident. I hadn't even been there. So why did I feel like I let my friend down? Why did I feel like I let myself down? A few weeks ago, something happened at a Jazz home game that brought back many of those old questions. Maybe you saw it. We were playing against the Thunder and Russell Westbrook, and a fan in the crowd exchanged words during the game. I didn't see or hear exactly what happened, and if you were following on TV or Twitter, maybe you had a similar initial viewing of it. Then, after the game, one of our reporters asked me for my response to what had gone down between Russ and the fan. I told him I hadn't seen it and added something like, but you know Russ, he gets into it with the crowd a lot. Of course, the full story came out later that night. What actually happened was that a fan had said some really ugly things at close range to Russ. Russ had then responded. After the game, he'd said he'd felt the comments were racially charged. The incident struck a nerve with our team. In a closed-door meeting with the president of the Jazz the next day, my teammates shared stories of similar experiences they'd had, of feeling degraded in ways that went beyond acceptable heckling, which they do in the NBA. They, Mm -hmm. They heckle. One teammate talked about how his mom had called him right after a game concerned for his safety in Salt Lake City. One teammate said the night felt like being in a zoo. One of the guys in the meeting was Thabo. He's my teammate in Utah now. I looked over at him and remembered his night in New York City. Everyone was upset. I was upset and embarrassed, too. But there was another emotion in the room that day, one that was harder to put my finger on. And it was almost like disappointment mixed with exhaustion. Guys were just sick and tired of it all. This wasn't the first time they'd taken part in conversations about race in their NBA careers, and it wasn't the first time they'd have to address the hateful actions of others. And one big thing that got brought up a lot in the meeting was how incidents like this, they weren't only about the people directly involved. This wasn't only Russ and some heckler. It was about more than that. It was about what it means just to exist right now as a person of color in a mostly white space. It was about racism in America. Before the meeting ended, I joined the team's demand for a swift response and a promise from the Jazz organization that it would address the concerns we had. I think my teammates and I all fell in step with the right decision, but I don't think anyone felt satisfied. Um, There's something interesting coming up that I myself did not know, but reading through the story, I realized it and Mm. uh, was very surprised. Um, There's an elephant in the room that I've been thinking about a lot over the past few weeks. It's the facts that demographically, if I were being honest, I have more in common with the fans in the crowd at your average NBA game than I have with the players on the court. And after events in Salt Lake City last month, and as we've been discussing them since, I've really started to recognize the role those demographics play in my privilege. It's like, I may be Thabo's friend or Epke's teammate or Russ's colleague. I may work with those guys, and I absolutely 100% stand with them. But I look like the other guy. And whether I like it or not, I'm beginning to understand how that means something. What I'm realizing is that no matter how passionately I commit to being an ally, no matter how unwavering my support for the NBA and WNBA players of color, I'm still in this conversation from the privileged perspective of opting into it, which of course means on the flip side, I could just as easily opt out of it. Every day I'm given that choice. I'm granted that privilege based on the color of my skin. In other words, I can say every right thing in the world. I can voice my solidarity with Russ after what happened in Utah. I can involve my position on what happened to Thabo in New York. I can be that weird dude and get out bragging about how he'd voted for Obama for a third term because of I can condemn every racist heckler I've known. But I can also fade into the ground and my face can blend in with the faces of those hecklers at any time I want. I realize that now and maybe in the past years just realizing something would have felt like progress. But it's not past years. It's today. And I know I have to do better, so I'm trying to push myself further. I'm trying to ask myself what I should actually do. How can I, as a white man a part of the systemic problem, become part of the solution when it comes to racism in my workplace, in my community, and in this country? These are, thing- these are questions I've been asking myself lately. And I don't think I have all the answers yet. But here are the ones I'm starting to ring most true. I have to continue to educate myself on the history of racism in America. I have to listen. I'll say it again because it's important. I have to listen. I have to support leaders who see racial justice as fundamental, as something that's the heart of nearly every major issue in our country today. I have to support policies that do the same. I have to do my best to recognize when to get out of the way in order to just amplify the voices of marginalized groups that so often get lost. But more than anything, I know that as a white man, I have to hold my fellow white men accountable. Um, I like what he said there when he says, um, I have to recognize 
I have to do my best to recognize when to get out of the way. Because mm-hmm. basically he's talking about how um, everyone wants to be an ally, but sometimes it's best to just, you know, mm-hmm. keep it to yourself. And um, I promise I'm almost done, but it's, I think this is important to talk about. Um, we all have to hold each other accountable and we all have to be accountable, period. Not just for our own actions, but also for others that are in inaction can create a safe space for toxic behavior. And I think that the standard that we have hold ourselves to in this crucial moment is higher than it's ever been. We have to be active. We have to be actively supporting the causes of those who have been marginalized precisely because they've been marginalized. Two concepts that I've been thinking about a lot lately are guilt and responsibility. When it comes to racism in America, I think that guilt and responsibility tend to be seen as more or less the same thing. But I'm beginning to understand how there's a real difference. As white people, are we guilty for the sins of our forefathers? No. Um, But are we responsible for them? He says, yes, I believe we are. Um, And I guess I've come to the realization when we talk about solutions to systemic racism, police reform, workplace diversity, affirmative action, better access to health care, even reparations. It's not about guilt. It's not about pointing fingers or passing blame. It's about responsibility. It's about understanding that when we've said the word equality for generations, what we've really meant is equality for a certain group of people. It's about understanding that when we said the word inequality for generations, what we've really meant is slavery. And it's aftermath, which is still being felt to this day. It's about understanding on a fundamental level that black people and white people still have it different in America. And those differences come from an ugly history, not some random divide. And it's about understanding that Black Lives Matter movements and movements like it, because, well, let's face it, I probably would have been safe on the street that night in New York and Thalba wasn't. And I was safe on the court that one night in Utah and Russell wasn't. But as disgraceful as it is that we have to deal with racist hecklers in NBA arenas in 2019, the truth is you could argue that kind of racism is easier to deal with. Because at least in those cases, the racism is loud and clear. There's no ambiguity, not in the act itself, and thankfully not in the response. We throw the guy out of the building and then we ban him for life. But in many ways, the more dangerous form of racism isn't that loud and stupid kind. It's the kind that announces itself when it walks into the arena It's the quiet and subtle kind. It isn't the kind that announces itself when it walks into the arena. It's the quiet and subtle kind, the kind that almost hides itself in plain view. It's the person who does and says all the right things in public. They're perfectly friendly when they meet a person of color. They're polite, but in private, well, they sort of wish that everyone would stop making everything about race all the time. It's the kind of racism that can seem almost invincible, which one of the main reasons why it's allowed to persist And so, again, banning a guy like Russell's heckler, to me, that's the easy part. But if we're really going to make a difference as a league, as a community, and as a country on this issue, it's like I said, I just think we need to push ourselves another step further. First, by identifying the less visible, less obvious behaviors as what it is, racism. And then second, by denouncing that racism actively and at every level. That's the bare minimum of where we have to go, I think, if we're going to consider the NBA or any workplace as anything close to part of the solution in 2019. He knows it's getting long. He says, I'll wrap this up in a minute. But first, I have one last thought. The NBA is over 75% players of color. 75%. People of color, they built this league. They've grown this league. People of color have made this league into what it is today. And I guess I just want to say that if you can't find it in your heart to support them now, and I mean actively support them, if the best way that you can do for their cause is to passively tolerate it if that's the standard we're going to hold ourselves to to blend in and opt out well that's not good enough it's not even close i know i'm in a strange position as one of the more recognized white players in the nba it's a position that comes with a lot interesting undertones and it's a position that makes me a symbol for a lot of things for a lot of people often people who don't know anything about me usually i just ignore them but this doesn't feel like a usually moment this feels like a moment to draw a line in the sand I believe that what's happening to people of color in this country right now in 2019 is wrong. The fact that black Americans are more than five times as likely to be incarcerated as white Americans is wrong. The fact that black Americans are more than twice as likely to live in poverty as white Americans is wrong. The fact that black unemployment rates nationally are double than that of overall unemployment rates is wrong. The fact that black imprisonment rates for drug charges is almost six times higher nationally than white imprisonment rates. Right imprisonment rates for drug charges is wrong. 
The fact that black Americans own approximately one-tenth of the wealth that white Americans own is wrong. And the fact that inequality is built so deeply in so many of our most trusted institutions is wrong. And I believe it's the responsibility of anyone on the privileged end of those inequalities to help make things right. So if you don't want anything, if you don't know anything about me outside of basketball, then listen, I get it. But if you do want to know something, know I believe that. Know that about me. If you're wearing my jersey in the game, know that about me. If you're planning to buy my jersey for someone else, know that about me. If you're following me on social media, know that about me. And if you're coming to a jazz games and rooting for me, know that about me. If you're claiming my name or likeness for your own cause in any way, know that about me and know that I believe this matters. Thanks for reading. Time for me to shut up and listen. So that was really long. But the point that he's trying to make basically is that um, I don't. How do you feel? How do see, you feel as a white man? I read that to you. How do um, you feel about that? Well, see, he, he got to that point where he was saying that uh, he, he needed to know when to like, like get out of the way. Yeah, uh, I definitely understand that because I've played football my entire life. Uh, I've had Probably played with black dudes, white dudes, Hispanic yeah, dudes, I've, all of it. Everybody. Yeah. I, and it's biggest to me, like I like to think that I like I'm not intentionally racist. I know I'm probably there are times I'm unintentional, but that's not. I don't feel like that's my fault because after it's brought up to me, I stop it. It's just how I was raised kind yeah. of deal. Like I didn't know it's racist, yeah. you know? And it's a lot of things is like I didn't I didn't know a lot of things. And I like it never really mattered to me what your color is or anything of mm-hmm. what you want to do with your life is your life. Yeah. And I didn't it never really bothered me, but like Whenever they, my teammates would get attacked or anything racism would affect them, like I always try to help because that's the kind of person I am. Plus, they're my teammate, like just this. Yeah. And I needed, like, I didn't know when to, like, like you said, get out of the way. Yeah. And that's one thing. Um, it took me a while to like to realize, to, like realize and be explained to me because, like, I thought I was just doing the, I thought I was doing a good thing. I thought I was doing right. Yeah. And, um, but for me, as like a white guy, I, I can't, like, I got, I need to remove myself from the situation. I need to see it. Like, I need to see that I'm not helping, even though I, my intentions are good. Like, and what I want to do is good. I can't help. Yeah. But some, yeah. You know what I mean? I, and I like, I know this took forever to read, but I thought that it was important because basically, because I didn't know that. I didn't know that the NBA was 75% colored. I knew I knew at least the majority was, um, but I didn't know it was that, that high. Yeah, that's exactly. A, and so, and what he's saying is like, I represent the people in the stands more than I represent the people who are playing. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it's important that he said because it is like being a I don't know if you guys know what I'm a black woman, you know, uh, but being a black woman, it is. Um, I don't want to say it's not frustrating. I think. Uh, when you talk about allies and when people talk about um, how they're there for you, it can get a little frustrating because it comes to the point where it's like, I want someone to understand where I'm coming from and at times speak up for me, mm-hmm. but not speak for me. Exactly. Speak up for me, you know, have my back, but let me have a voice because mm-hmm. that's at the end of the day. That's what it's about. It's about having that representation and having that voice of your own. And so um, I think this was really important. And and Kyle Corver, he, he says, I'm one of the more recognizable white guys. And so I feel like I did need to say something, but he easily didn't have to. Yeah. He easily could have not come out with this. He could have, you know, ignored it, let it sit on his chest and that have been that. Um, but he decided to share it because it is something important to him and it's he's he's being active about it because if you think about it I mean I know there's more than 20 players on a roster yeah but if there's but if we're going to use that example of 20 players on a roster four of those guys are white exactly like and I mean like I said I've played sports my entire life and I've like look I've five five of those guys are white sorry I didn't do my math again (laughs) Yeah, it's 25. Five. Yeah, five. Five times four, 20. <laughs> yeah, so five of those guys are white. But he, 
it's an interesting being in the I think being in the NBA is an interesting position for him because he sees all of these things mm-hmm. going on. And it's like the I don't want to use the word oppressed, but it's a situation when the majority are affected mm-hmm. because nine times out of ten, a colored person is going to have this happen to them versus like he said, he was OK in New York. Exactly. He would have been OK in New York. He was OK on the court that night. And so the majority is being effective, but the minority has the bigger voice. Right. So it is an interesting position in the NBA. And like going off of where he's like, I, I'm safe on in this situation. And I definitely have been there because like to me, like they're my teammates. So I don't think anything different. Like, yeah, it don't. But where I come from was uh, more of like a redneck kind of town. Mm. So, I mean, I want to think it like kind of like, I don't know, maybe kind of like um, a little bit kind of like Remember the Titans, but a lot bigger. Yeah. You know, it took a. there's there's good people and then there's bad people yeah it's like any other town i guess but like i never i didn't realize things like i'd be like hey let's do this hey and it's like some of they'd be like uncomfortable they don't want to do that and i did i never really understood that yeah and like definitely like as i've gotten older as i've kind of looked um looked at myself looked at kind of like what i've done and i i was like i recognize that more now and i'm just like i went out with a couple of friends a couple weeks ago and um, two of them were white, one of them was Hispanic, and then me. Mm-hmm. And um, whenever I go out, if I'm going to go out in public and I'm going to drink, I'm 21, <laughs> but if I'm going to go out in public and I'm going to drink, I'm going to have only a few mm-hmm. um, because I know my limits. And I also know it's just it's just something that's always in the back of my head. Like, I know that if something happens, I will get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And I will be I will be punished harder. And it's something that it's not OK, but it's something I've lived with my whole life and I've just accepted. And, I'm, you know, I'm like, OK, I'm just proactive about it. Yeah. Um, a couple of friends like they literally fell into the street and like one of them was white and the cop was like, um, get them out of here. And I was like, I got it. I got it. Yes, sir. Like was pulling them out. And I was just thinking to myself, like the fact that the like to them the response was you know just get them out of here mm-hmm. but if it were me it it could have been completely different or the fact that they like in their heads they don't care they will do stupid things and they will let themselves get to that point because they're going to be fine yeah. like i just you know it's hard to like understand it's hard to kind of grasp that like being a <laughs> i don't being a person i don't want to say who's carefree but who can be that carefree and like because like i said it's something that i've just always grown up with it's like be on my best behavior always be on alert yeah. you never know what's going to happen and so like just to like see them be that way and see them have that mindset of like they can do whatever they want and they don't have to worry about anything because i don't want to say because the system is not against them but it's not you know and it's like right. they have different worries than i do and it's like I, like, I understand that, but it's also, like, I don't know. It's, like, eye-opening to see and understand. I also, though, kind of think it's helped me grow up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it definitely makes you have to be more responsible, definitely sure, or yeah. more mature. Yeah, I think. Um, because, like like you said, like, you're saying all that, and, like, exactly, that's kind of, like, what I was thinking. Like, I go back, and I'm, like. Man, I see. I don't have to ever worry about this. There's none of this. Like it never even crosses my mind. Yeah. But like I think about back up like conversations, back up situations, and I'm just like, man, like I put him in that situation because I didn't think. Yeah, and it's like unknown. Like, and the type of person that you are, and I really respect this, is because if you tell Bob something, like I think we had an incident. A year and a half ago or something. Yeah, when I first you, started. Yeah, when he first started, he said something. It made me a little bit uncomfortable. We talked about it, and boom. Had, nothing has happened since then. And it wasn't even anything bad. It was just a term that I had never really heard before. I didn't like it. We talked about it. Boom. And, like, mm-hmm. he's the kind of per- person that's understanding about certain issues. And so it's like we can have these conversations. Exactly. I feel so comfortable having these conversations with you because you're not a, well, I don't think your your feelings aren't valid. You're a... I didn't know you felt that way. This is interesting. Let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate being able to talk to you. Like I, the biggest thing is I do not want to be an ignorant person. I don't like ignorant people. So no. I just want to like, if I if I'm ever ignorant, please let me know because I don't want to be that person. Gotcha. Because I, I like to know what's going on. So 
I mean, well, thank you for having this conversation with me. Thank you for letting me read this story. Um, Thank you guys for listening in another week. That that sports story did take a bit of time, but I think it was important. I think it needed to be said, and I think uh, this conversation with Bop needed to be had, and I'm so glad that we did have it. thank you for being that comfortable with me to be able to have that conversation. Thank you for making me feel that way. (laughs) Uh, We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening, guys, to another episode of Wave Wave of the the Planet. Planet. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe for updates when new episodes drop. And follow our station on Twitter and on Facebook at The Planet 107 to see everything going on at Tarleton Radio.